Thanks for coming, everyone, tonight. We're just going to start off with uh, reading Psalm 104, um, and then we're going to have a presentation, and then we'll break it into, into groups and discuss it. So we're going to start off with Psalm 104. heading of my Bible is, O Lord, my God, you are very great. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendour and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has a home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Right, with that, I hand the floor over to Taryn. So good? Can you hear me okay? Enough to not fall asleep, hopefully. It's interesting. Um, the New King James Version has as the heading of that psalm Praise to the Sovereign Lord for his creation and providence. And um, the reason I selected that is because it's a really good reminder that God is in control of all things in creation. 
Like we have rain and we have grass grow, trees grow, and we can forget that these are not just automatic things, but God's in control of all things, and that's part of his work of uh, creation. So I don't have any control over the slides here. That's uh, been control at the back, so hopefully this works out okay. Um, thanks for letting me come and speak with you tonight. Um, some of you might not know me. My name's Taryn Ratesmer. I'm a member of the um, congregation in uh, Byford. I gave a similar speech to the Byford um, Youth Bible Study Group, and it was entitled, Remember Your Creator in the Days of Your Youth, as per Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. So I hope I don't cause offence to you as audience by cutting off the last bit, because we're not all youth. Um, not that it's not relevant for us to be continuing to remember our Creator. The reason I'm speaking to you on this topic is um, I'm an environmental scientist and I'm very excited about creation, always have been, and I just wanted to share a few things with you and just some little observations. Um, even when I do the presentation myself, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, how God um, is so great in what he has done in creation, and that's something that we can all be reminded of. Uh, if I go to the next slide, please. So the verse I suggested we look at tonight was focused on Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So what I'm hoping to do is break down what this means and hopefully generate some thought and discussion uh, later on. So we'll be looking at what it means by our creator, what it means to remember him, why we should remember him in our youth, some of the benefits of remembering him as creator, and our response when we remember him. And if nothing else, I hope to have you think more about God's awesome work in creation as he's revealed it in his word. Because as we will see, we will be praising him for that forever and eternity. Next slide, please. It's really interesting that the verse refers to our creator and not just God. Why doesn't it just say, remember God? So to develop this further, we should look at what we know about God as creator. As we know from what we read in Genesis 1, God created all things from nothing. And as we read in Romans 4 verse 17, God calls into existence the things that do not exist. And this creation from nothing is sometimes called creation ex nihilo. We read in Psalm 33 verse 9, He spoke and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. God's work as creator is not limited to his acts recorded in Genesis 1. In Psalm 104, just now, we read of his awesome work and also of his sustaining power. He's in control of all things, and without his will, not a hair can fall from our head. It's probably a little bit more meaningful for me than some of you, that text. So God didn't, as I said before, just kick off the water cycle. Um, he didn't just uh, cause plants to automatically grow. He's in control immediately of all things. And I'm hopefully later, we've got a few YouTube clips. Hopefully they work. Um, and in that, knowing that he's in control of even that fine, intricate detail is incredible. So if we could go to the next slide... So what does it mean to remember him as creator? 
When the Bible uses the word remember, it implies more than just remembering, as in, I've got to remember mum's birthday. It's more than just that. For example, in Exodus 2, we read that God heard the groaning of the Israelites because of their slavery. Then God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And we know that this remembering resulted in action. He freed his people from slavery. In a similar way, the criminal on the cross in Luke 23, when he asked Jesus to remember him, Jesus acted upon that. So it's clear that to remember the Creator is more than just to know He's a Creator in a broad sense. It requires us to act upon that. To remember Him as Creator also means to remember that He has revealed Himself in two ways. That is, through His creation and His Word. In Belgian Confession Article 2, we confess that the evidence of God's creative work is sufficient to convict us. And Psalm 8 and Psalm 139 are examples of a proper response to that creation. In Psalm 8 we read, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So looking at the heavens, that's kind of like that universal scale. And then in Psalm 139 we read, For you formed my inward parts... You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So that's like almost at the microscopic level. And we'll look at that in some more detail. Next slide, please. So this is the Milky Way. So in terms of the universal scale, we do well to take the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 8 and continue to marvel at things like the incredible expanse of the universe and even just our own galaxy, the Milky Way. And this is one view of the Milky Way. And we live on one speck within that area called Earth, which was created perfect for us to live in, with the right gravity, just the right atmosphere, with oxygen in in the correct concentrations, containing water, carbon, laws of gravity, etc., And there's a really good resource, there's a DVD called Privileged Planet, some of you may have seen. That's also available for free on YouTube if you wanted to look that up. It's quite um, stirring in the way it, it really shows that Earth was very specifically created by the Lord for us to dwell on, dwell in. Uh, Next slide, please. So I want to focus a little bit more on the microscopic um, side of things. So this is the, highlighted in red. This is the liver within our body. And then if I go to the next slide, please. These are cells within the liver. Each of those liver cells is about 20 micrometers, the width of a fine hair. If you go to the next slide. And within each of those cells, you can see There's a cell that's been broken out there. That light blue coloration is a nucleus. And that nucleus contains 23 pairs of chromosomes. Uh, Next slide, yeah, thanks. Down the bottom there, we can see one such chromosome. And if we unravel it as we go up on the right-hand side, we can see how incredibly complex that structure is. Bearing in mind that DNA contains all, all of the information for life, as, as you will. 
uh, maybe next slide. That's a little indication of the scale. So that chromosome on the bottom there, you could fit 10,000 of those across your fingernail. If you go to the next slide, and at the top, that strand of DNA, you can fit 5 million of those across your fingernail, roughly. Okay, next slide. So each chromosome contains about 4 to 5 centimetres of DNA. So there's about 2 metres of DNA per cell. Each of us contain about 50 trillion cells. It's a pretty weird thought, that is, I know, but 50 trillion cells, rough estimate. So we contain about 100 trillion metres of DNA within our bodies. And that's enough to go from here to the sun and back 30 times. And that's not me making that up. This is um, uh, scientists, like if you look up in nature, etc. It's, um, it's well documented. So this DNA is the language of life, containing all of the information necessary to make you and me who we are. So those that believe in, the, believe in evolution believe that all of this is a product of chance. We, however, know that this is how God created us, and we can praise him for it. If we go to the next slide, according to the words of Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So that so far was a little bit about kind of the scale and how tiny all of that is within our body and the incredible amount of uh, DNA that um, our bodies contain. So if, you, if we go back a couple of slides, uh, yeah, that one there. So at the top right, so that's a, an example of a strand of DNA, right? So just bear that in mind as we go look at this YouTube clip. So go forward a couple of slides again. Now, hopefully this works. Just pause for a sec, if you could. All right, so what you're seeing there in pink is uh, a strand of DNA. And what we're going to see in this short video, it's only about a minute long, we're going to see an animation of a chain of DNA. And then we'll zoom out, see a, a cell dividing into two, right, with DNA replication taking place. So when a cell splits into two, obviously the DNA needs to be replicated. And that is just an absolute marvel of creation, I put it to you. So this um, person has made an animation of it. In the middle of the animation, when you see the cells divide into two, and it'll be quite obvious, I think there's a little note on there, that's actually an actual cell that's dividing. But then it goes back to an animation. So if we could just run that, please. So this is an actual cell right now that's dividing and that the sausage-like things are chromosomes being pulled apart. And there we have two cells. And then the video will go on to show how that duplication took place. This is what the little machines are at work within our bodies to do that sort of work.
So this is like the process of uh, replicating DNA that occurs for that to occur. That'll probably do, I think. So I'm not a molecular biologist. I've worked a little bit in the field. I did some cancer research for a couple of years and I worked on DNA double strand breaks. So I only know one tiny little fraction of this science and it's just um, pretty incredible, complete with sound effects as well, which is pretty awesome. And um, if we go to the next slide, Okay, just pause it for a sec. Oh, no, one before that, sorry. This one, yeah. It's a bit finicky. Pause, yeah. So there's also a little machine that um, takes information from DNA in, and puts it into the form of RNA for proteins to be developed. So this little video shows how that occurs. So you can see in pink, through the middle there, that's a strand of DNA. And off it goes, copying out RNA, which is, contains that same information. So bearing in mind the trillions of cells in your body with all of this going on. Do you feel little vibrations at all? <laughs> and that's at real time speed, how fast that machine, machine operates. Yeah, that'll, that'll probably do for that one. I've got one more I want sh to show you. So when, those, when that cell duplicated and became two, you saw the chromosomes, those sausage-like things within it, kind of align themselves. They're all bunched up and they kind of align and then pull apart. This little video goes through, I think it's narrated, and shows the little machines that are at work um, to make that happen. So, if you could click this one.
That'll probably do, I think. So I've, I've no idea if that man is a Christian or not. Um, didn't look into it. But it is quite incredible that he just is in awe of it regardless. Um, and it's just incredible when you think about it, all of that going on within our cells. So if I could jump to the next slide, please. So what then does it mean to remember our creator? So when we, what we know about DNA, these molecular machines, and we wonder how anyone could reject the idea of a creator and assume, assume that that's a product of chance. However, we obviously don't base our knowledge of God and faith in him on what we see around us in creation. As we confess in Lord's Day 7 regarding what is true faith, it's a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. And then Belgian Confession Article 7 says regarding the sufficiency of scripture, scripture fully contains the will of God and all that man must believe in order to be saved. And we may not consider any writings of men, there's, there's a man down there, his name's Darwin, of equal value with the divine scriptures. It means that when we have questions, we know where to go to, to his word. It means that we submit to God's word as authoritative. And, that we have, and when we have questions, we ask those who have been instructed to teach us in the way, our parents, for example, uh, Deuteronomy 11, all those who have responsibility for teaching doctrine in the church, the elders, minister, etc., as we read in um, Titus 1 verse 9. And we also have a responsibility for each other, as we read in Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So what do we read in his word about creation? It's quite simple. We read in Genesis 1 of the creation account and he made all things in six days and that's confirmed in the law in Exodus 20 for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and we'll make that into a mockery if we didn't believe those to be literal days. But right from the first pages of the Bible Satan has been whispering in our ears literally did God actually say Genesis 3 verse 1 and then so Satan's launched an attack on God's word in the form of the theory of evolution. And the church is not immune from that attack, despite what we may think. There's many Christians who seek to be culturally relevant and they try to create wriggle room for the theory of evolution. And there's a heresy attacking the church called theistic evolution, which denies that the days of creation were literal days and allows for long periods of time. Think for a moment about that. So that theory then allows for long periods of death and suffering, which is required for evolution, before the fall into sin. It is a fact that questioning the creation account has led to whole families leaving our churches and turning to full-blown atheism. So we need to be on guard and we need to submit ourselves to God's word in this matter. And then on the back of that handout uh, uh, we handed out, there's some resources, the Answers in Genesis book, a few websites uh, that may be of use. So if we could go to the uh, next slide, please. So why, would we, why should we remember our Creator in our youth, in accordance with uh, Ecclesiastes 12? 
So the world basically says youth for pleasure, middle age for business, old age for religion. And the Bible says youth, middle age and old age for your creator. The Bible teaches us in Ecclesiastes 12 the importance of knowing God in our youth so that we will set a pattern for our life that will help us through the rougher stages of life. And there are a few reasons why our youth, why focusing on this in our youth might be particularly important. And some of these are that these are energetic years. Our, Our years of youth are energetic. Why wait until we get old? Old age and death, they're depicted in Ecclesiastes 12 later on. And it says, remember your creator before those um, days. And when our gas is almost empty, the Lord who made us deserves our most active and healthy years. Our bodies are strong, our minds are sharp and clear, our senses are receptive and keen, and our enthusiasm is bright. It should be anyway. And we should be determined. They're also sensitive years. And why is it that many people become Christians in their youth rather than than in middle or old age? Without giving up on our belief in total depravity, we can say in a way that it might be easier to believe and repent when we are younger. It's never easy in that respect, and obviously it's it's the work of the Spirit. But as we get older, often our heart can become hard and thicker. Our conscience could be seared numb and our sins root deeper and our deadness in a way becomes deader. There are also teachable years because we learn a lot in our youth more than any other period in our life. That's true in all subjects but especially true in religious instruction. Many people who were converted to Christ later in life have expressed great regret about how little they know and how little they can now learn. We can encourage them to value and use whatever time the Lord gives them, but often they feel they have to study twice as hard at that later age. They're also dangerous years. So our years of youth, they're minefield years. There's hormones, peer pressure, social media, alcohol, drugs, pornography, testosterone, fuel exercises, etc., And few can navigate these years without blowing up here and there. And dangers abound on every side and on the inside. So remembering God when you are young will help fight against the temptations of youth and avoid consequences that can last a lifetime. We have to remember that the Lord made us and provides for us, cares for us and watches over us and above all that he claims us for his own. If I go to the next slide, please. So in terms of the benefits of remembering God as our creator, there's a number of these that he spells out in his word. And I want to explain one in some detail in particular because it's quite powerful. And it's also an important question to be able to answer in our witness to the world around us. And even today, my neighbour told me that his daughter had just been um, diagnosed with bowel cancer and it looks quite severe. And this is basically the question of evil. Like, why, if there is a good God, why is there so much evil in the world? So conversations like that do come up. And our understanding and belief in the Lord as creator is really important in answering that question. 
Who does not question why when loved ones die or bad things happen? I think of the death of young people in the church community in recent years. People like Jamie Brolsma, Letitia Brewer, Cullen Everts, Kane Wells, and there's so many more that I've uh, omitted and forgotten already. So these seem so tragic and pointless, and who can make sense of them? And then we consider the book of Job. We read that there was no more a righteous man on the earth than Job, and that despite that, a whole lot of bad things happened to him. His children were killed, his livestock, he was left with a horrible disease, probably leprosy, all in a short time. Some say in mercy God left him his wife, but then again, when you consider all her nagging and bad advice, maybe that was more of a curse than a blessing. And then follows chapter after chapter of questioning, why did this happen? Was he at fault for some sin perhaps? And his friends and wife did not help the cause with their advice. And if you were to summarise much of the book, it would be in two words, why God? And this would be the question asked by so many in the world um, and the challenge, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And from our perspective, we would like to think that God would answer along the lines of, well, this happened for such and such a reason, in a logical way. Maybe some explanation to Job that Satan was behind it, some reasoning about not worrying as he had the promise of salvation. But no, if we were to summarise the response of God to these questions, the answer is, essentially, who are you? I am the Almighty Creator. And we find that in Job 34, 38, verse 4 where God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And this is the reality, harsh as it may seem to us. The problem of evil is a key thing that will arise in discussion with unbelievers. And there's good opportunity to equip ourselves. And there's a few books that I would recommend. Um, there's, they're listed on, that back, on the back again. There's uh, Greg Barnson, Always Ready. There's a book by Frank Tureg called Stealing from God. And also on the topic of apologetics, there's a book uh, by Greg Kukul called Tactics. Um, the book by Greg Barnson in particular is a book that I wish I had read before I went to university. I would really highly recommend it for um, people studying at uni, particularly in fields like um, education. So another benefit of remembering our creator is that it gives us hope. As we read in Isaiah 40, that famous chapter that speaks of God's comfort to his people, we read in verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And this is the point. Despite all of the evil and suffering in the world, despite mental illness, abuse, suicide, seemingly untimely death, we know that we have an almighty creator, who cares for us. Jesus himself calls this care of the creator to mind twice in Luke 12, once in relation to not fearing persecution and then again in relation to not being anxious for anything. And there is another key way in which God's work as creator is important to consider and that is his ability to create in us a new heart. That's, that is uh, under the heading, heading there of deliverance. And we read in Psalm 51 of David pouring out his heart before God because of sin, yet able to pray that God 
would create in him a clean heart, a new heart. We must have confidence in this and call it to mind when we are faced with temptation. And we also need to have confidence in it. We should also consider Jeremiah 24 verse 7 where we read, I will give them a heart to know me for I am the Lord. Do we really believe that God can deliver us and deliver others from sin? Are we praying and reaching out as we should, really believing that God can change hearts or, or do we give up on people when they've left the church, for example? I know it, for me, I think I do in a ways, but then when I reflect on this, I think I should be doing more and not giving up because God is powerful. In terms of the ultimate deliverance of sin, of course, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation, as God tells us in Isaiah 65, where we read in verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. When we are in heaven, we will join the heavenly chorus praising God for having created all things. And we read about this in Revelations 4 verse 11. And that's a really striking text in a way. Take note of the wording. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power, glory and honour and power, because for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You can ask those who doubt God's word on creation, do they really think they will be able to sing this? Uh, next slide, please. So there's a number of responses when we truly remember the Lord, and one is that we can really enjoy his creation. We can get out in his creation, marvel in it, and study the world he gives us using microscopes and telescopes. However, we have to remember that the book of creation, Belgian Confession Article 2, is insufficient in itself. He makes himself known to us through his word. So that's the reason we do Bible study, obviously, and it's important to study his work, seek out sermons, commentaries, and good books. And Jesus himself, in John 17, equates knowledge of God with eternal life. I want to leave you with one final thing, and that is, it's a little bit of a... a it's a little bit separate, but I find it inspirational, so I'm going to share it with you. And that is, I suggest that we should what's called let the lion out. And if we could go to the next slide, please. And by that, I mean a quote from a sermon by um, Charles Spurgeon. The sermon is entitled Christ and His Co-Workers. And it includes the following famous quote. And I'll just read it because some of you might not be able to read that. A great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it is a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are the most books of that kind, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, the full-grown king of beasts. There he is in a cage. Here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I would suggest to them, if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back, open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that that would be the best way of defending him, 
for he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. And there's no better way to understand and to come to embrace a biblical doctrine of scripture, including creation, than to open the cage and let scripture out. So with that, I'd like to also encourage you in your study of scripture this year, may you be blessed by it, that you might truly remember your creator. Thank you.